Are you happy? Magic Seeds takes a good look at everyday challenges and gives solid advice on how to navigate through them, be it relationships, career, parenting, or just not feeling happy inside. I'm Dr. Adam Grise. And I'm Laura Grise. Please join us weekly to discuss everyday situations that seem to be getting in the way of feeling happy and peaceful. We'll provide Magic Seeds and a reliable roadmap for you to follow to stay on a healthy path for your life. Welcome back to Magic Seeds. Okay, Laura Grise, what do we got today? What do we have today? We're continuing on psychedelics, but most specifically, we're talking about ayahuasca. And we're talking about yours and my experiences. Oh, mama ayahuasca. <laughs> our experiences with ayahuasca. So it's been our goal to come from a Western medicine perspective. So we had Dr. Harmon talk about the data and where it's going. Right. And, the research behind what's been taking place and where mainstream medicine is starting to open up to and right. where it's going and thinking more about the reality or the hard facts of safety aspects. There, there's so many views that are out there. A lot of it comes from an emotional relationship to it of saying, oh, it's, it's deemed drugs, it's deemed right. bad, it's deemed something scary mm -hmm. and unsafe. And just to break it down a little bit more objectively. And so having a great talk with Dr. Harmon, just looking at it from that side and seeing where society or medical society is going in the ability to use psychedelics as a healing medium. And at the same time, this has been used as a healing medium for centuries, thousands of years, maybe. And that's the Eastern medicine where it's used in sacred ceremony and it's generations and generations. And they have taught their children to be shamans and to guide ceremonies. It is a very sacred uh, plant medicine. And you and I have gone through these experiences, but quite honestly, that's the underground world. And we would mm -hmm. like to really shed some light on the underground what's going on there and the actual personal experiences, because I think there is so much value in that. And there has been, at least for you and I, and we know the people who surround us, there has been so much healing surrounding the plant medicine and ayahuasca. It's, it's it off the even, charts. It doesn't of, even put it in words, right? It doesn't because it's um, the growth or the how much is blown open. It's exponential compared to how we generally heal in sober living. Yep. And it's so easy for our mind to gain control and access of what we're doing and how we're engaging with life when we're in the sober world. It's not just easy, it is. That is how we operate. Right, Human and it keeps beings. us safe. Right. I mean, it's understandable. We all have to agree that like a red light means stop, right? It's like, there are a certain set of rules that keep us very grounded into a physical-based reality. But um, it's very linear. But the personal growth is so limited. Well, that's what happens. I think over time, and I think most people would agree that as we get older and older, we just start getting bogged down mm. more and more. There's just things that we skip over. There's things that our mind has us shove under the rug. It's just too much, too soon, too overwhelmed. Absolutely. And life is moving too fast that before you know it, it's like the stereotypical grandparents' house that they've been living there for Absolutely. 50 years and it's just cluttered and yeah. dusty. And it's, there comes a point where it's just, ah, you don't even notice it anymore. And you just get used to living that way. And when people walk around, we're in the healing, in the healing field and we know 
most people are searching for peace. Most people are dealing with many aspects of their life they're unhappy with, and they have no idea how to start tackling it, how to start confronting it. And we have been lucky enough, I feel very grateful, to have been fostered into a really deep, sacred group that holds a lot of reverence for this medicine and found a very safe way to explore it and see how much, see firsthand how much it can bring up and out things that my mind has had firewalls against that would never have seen the light of day that, quite frankly, is really scary. Yes. So we want to talk about today the fear surrounding the concept, just the concept of doing ayahuasca, right? Because a lot of people come up to us and they have this look on their faces when we say that we're going to do it or we've done it. Laura, how about when you're actually in circle, right? Mm -hmm. And with people, I mean, we've only done it to some people only a handful of times. Mm, There's some people that really like just been diving in deep for for decades maybe, or just do it more frequently. And even these people are petrified going in every time. Because it's a daunting experience. It can be. Well, here's the thing. You don't know once you take it and you're sitting there and you're waiting for it to kind of kick in. You know, you have no control of what's going to show up. That's what's beautiful about it. It's what's beautiful and it's what's so scary. And if you've lived your life feeling that your security is in the way that you see the world, right? Like I know what's up and what's down because my mind tells me so. How scary is it to say my mind might get flipped out and then I'm not going to have any context. I don't even know what's up or down anymore. That's really scary. So I have this visualization all the time of those weight vests that we put on to exercise, or even this is like a bizarro visualization, but I guess it was Girl Scouts or brownies. We would have to put these vests on. And then every time we earned a medal, we would get a medal pinned on us, right? But it always seemed so constricting as we started getting all the medals because you're just like dangling and hanging and heavy and So I have this visualization of life and as I gain this fear or this anxiety or this expectation of myself or this, there are all these like heavy metals hanging on me or I put another weight in the weight vest and I'm walking and those little stick figures when they're hot, tired, exhausted and they're walking (laughs) like they have no more energy and they're like dragging down to their knees and they're trying to walk but they can't. That's how I look at life in all of us before we do an experience, a plant medicine experience, right? And then I also have this visualization of this, I'm going to go back to it because I think I talked about it before in one of the podcasts, but we haven't aired it yet, of 1980s movie Cocoon. I used to love that movie. Uh, Me too. I loved (laughs) it so much. We watched it for every sleepover. Do you remember the aliens? Mm -hmm. When they would come out, they were just this silhouette this bright white silhouette Mm -hmm. of a human body, correct? So that is my visualization. Well, actually for every meditation that I do in the mornings, but that's my observer. That's when I step out of this heavy weighted vest and this observer is sitting there and it can just move around. It's so fluid and it's laughing on the floor, laying on the floor and it's just moving around. It's very free flowing. And Can I get to be married to that? (laughs) (laughs) Only in meditation, only in ayahuasca. So I get the weighted vest version. <laughs> awesome. I cannot walk to you. I'm so tired. Anyway. I feel like you put extra weights in before you come talk to me. <laughs> Wait, let me put this in here. 
So that is how I picture circle before we do the ceremony, the ayahuasca ceremony. Everybody's sitting there in their weighted vests and these helmets, and they're just totally constricted and weighted down. But then I close my eyes because I get a little scared as well. It's a Mm -hmm. little fearful of the unknown, right? And you don't know what your experience is about to be. And But I close my eyes and I picture all these cocoon bodies, all these clean, free bodies just sitting there so happy. And I'm like, that's where we're going to. And that's the only thing I care about right now is to shed this Mm. crap and to get to freedom. What you just said there is the huge component because you have a faith that there's something on the other side. Well, there is something on the other side. It's not different than someone who finds refuge in God in the religious realm. If you have faith that I can let go of what I'm holding on so tightly to and something is going to catch me, and that's really actually a pretty good segue into kind of what we want to touch upon today, which is as much as we revere and respect and are humble in our medicine work with Mm -hmm. ayahuasca, I don't look at that as the baseline. That's just something that I use to stir it all up. But the real work is done in the sober world. It's it's what you do in between. If if you don't spend your life trying to integrate what you've received, what has been shed, because it's like a frequency, it's a way of living. You get revealed. Maybe you Mm -hmm. shed some pain. You know, there are people that are crying hysterically during it, or they're wailing, or they're obviously vomiting, or people get these insights, right? Once you get that, that's cool. It's really cool, especially afterwards. No matter how hellacious it is, afterward, you're in circle and you talk and it's like, wow, these really profound experiences, their value is only in how you integrate it into your sober life. I always feel that people that end up doing it frequently, they're not getting, they're leaving a lot of meat on the bone. And I don't really feel there's any absolute value in what I get from a ceremony rather other than how I integrate it into my life and practice and practice and practice until it becomes kind of more ingrained in my subconscious. Absolutely. In the ceremony, if you do it, if you time it perfectly, you can feel a slowdown in your connection, right? You can feel a, I need a little bit more connection with mama. We call it mama ayahuasca. And that's when you check back in and to have her stir things up again. But you're absolutely right. It is leaving a lot of meat on the bone because every day, literally every minute of the day, there is work to be done. I think about the goddess, the Hindu goddess Kali, because you and I, obviously, we give a lot of reverence to Kali because we we named named our first daughter daughter after Kali. And Kali is the goddess of destruction of ego. And while there are so many different meanings to her, and she is totally a doll right (laughs) after her, and it was so scary that we couldn't even put it in her room, right? Do you remember that? There's no way that a baby can go to sleep with this because she's got blood hanging off of her and skulls because it signifies death, death of our ego. And she's got swords. And I mean, she's petrifying to look at. So there is a depiction of Kalima. And it resonates with me so much. It is as powerful to me as turning to Mama Ayahuasca. So I turn to Mama Ayahuasca every morning and ask her to guide me. I, as well, turn to Kalima every morning. 
with this depiction. So the depiction is her head, which is scary as it is. Kali's head. And if any of you who are listening do not know who she is, just look it up, K-A-L-I and Hindu goddess, K-A-L-I, Kali. And it really is a very scary picture. So anyway, this Uh picture is just Kali's head and it has blood dripping from her neck. She is decapitated from her body. And I do believe that she might even have a, there might even be like a slight smile in her face, but I'm not, don't hold me to that. But basically it is to cut off our minds and to live in our hearts. And even though she's decapitated and you would think that she's completely dead, you see the blood running. There's actually more blood running through your body because you're living from your heart and not from your mind. And to me, like that is just so powerful. And that guides me all the time of I get into my head and I say, no, uh, uh-uh, what do I feel? My thoughts start running. No, no, no. How do I feel? And I keep on checking right back in. And although sometimes the truth of the heart is very, very hard to accept or to live with, but checking in with that. And I do, and ayahuasca is that. It, right. You take it and you literally have no control over your mind. It has completely decapitated you. That's why at the end of every ceremony, it's like the biggest love, love fest. fest. It's like a <laughs> it's puddle delicious. of love. And it's, it's so open. People are understandable. You live your whole life in your head, at least as the leader. It's scary to let go of that. But people get very scared mostly because they say, hey, if I can't rely on my head, that's what I'm using as my navigation system. Mm. I'm going to drop all the balls and I can't afford to do that. And the truth of the matter is that when you do let go and come into the heart and you let the heart lead you, it makes complicated situations much clearer, but it also doesn't, how can I say this? You still have access to your head. Your head becomes a tool. You use your mind at your will. They say the mind makes a terrible master, but a great servant. It kind of reverses that where most of us, our mind is the master and we're just trying to keep up and satisfy it, feed the lion so it doesn't cause us anxiety. And the cool part is when you start to learn to lead with your heart, you realize, oh my God, I'm cooler. There's more stillness inside, Mm -hmm. which actually allows me to use my mind more effectively. It's a big leap of faith, but you actually get what you want in the long run. Absolutely. Think with your heart, right? Think with your heart and feel with your brain. Feel with your brain. So I think a lot of listeners would like to hear a couple of our experiences. They've talked about that. So would you like to go first? And I want to say that it's almost been 20 years since we've known each other, since I've met you. And I do believe that fairly, fairly early on, you went on your first trip. Am I right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And I have a terrible memory, but I do remember how excited you were and how bouncy you were. (laughs) (laughs) Adam gets very bouncy when he gets excited. And you were so excited to come back with clarity, to come back with answers. And it was mostly for you. And I don't know if it was because you were so young, but mostly for you to get clarity on the people in your life right? And what they mean to you. I can't even remember, to be honest with you. Um, I do. But I do know that anyone out there that's a seeker or anyone out there who feels there's something missing inside or there's some disconnect, right? And there's some longing for a sense of peace on some level, in some way. Isn't that all of us? The vast majority. It's the, you go in there and it's like, oh, 
I'm so sick of my head. I'm so sick mm. of running around the same maze and getting to the same point and seeing the same benchmarks, mm. same mile markers. Like I know there's something blocking me. And being the son of a psychologist and getting to the point where I was a 13-year-old and asking my dad for a partial lobotomy <laughs> so I could stop thinking so much, the prospect of not being able to hyper control with my mind was kind of exciting for me. And I didn't right. know what to expect. And maybe that was better. And I just went in and it was a really nice experience my first time. It was really cool. And uh, I ended up getting visited by a lot of people. And I know you've had that same experience Absolutely. too. Um, I remember when after this, I did well enough. I guess I controlled myself <laughs> enough. I was able to kind of stay grounded enough during the ceremony that I was invited to a more intense time in the jungle. And I remember the shaman coming down. I was out there down out there for nine days and doing five ceremonies. And the shaman would come around and check on us in the in-between days. And he would through an interpreter who asked me how how it was. And I told him again, all these people just come visit me and visit me and visit me. And he would just like kind of was like, oh, that's a little bit weird. And I was like, I don't know. That's just kind of how it's been. I've only done it a couple of times at that point, but that's all I knew. And for me, it was all these people in my life and I would just get these amazing downloads about them or just totally. see things so clearly. You'd have conversations, you'd have this random conversation just flash before your eyes. That was an actual conversation you had. But instead of being where I was at while I had that conversation and what I was thinking, I could almost see the person's thoughts or what they were feeling. And I'm like, They're feeling, oh right. my God, how could I not have felt that pain? And it's just all of a sudden it like brings so much insight into realizing what we're actually aware of day to day, moment to moment. We think we kind of are getting everything. And it made me realize for the first time how much is going on, how much information is being passed on subconsciously and that we're responding to it. There would be things I would see someone's look. I'd be talking to one person and there's someone standing next to that person. And while I'm revisiting this during ceremony, I can see the person standing next to that I wasn't even looking at and see their expression and realize, oh my God, I didn't even process. They were horrified at what the other person was saying. And you get to feel this. And all of a sudden, I would be overcome with what that feeling felt like to me. It's like if you witness something hellacious, say you witness a car accident or witness someone getting beaten. And it's just makes you, it curdles your stomach type of thing. And we can feel it pretty obviously there. And then maybe we're shaken up and we go home and we talk about it. Or maybe a lot of people will just drink or just put on a movie and kind of just shove it down. Shove it, right. But what if you're not even aware that your stomach went into knots on a, some really subtle level and it just lives inside you? And so a lot of times where I'm having in, during ceremony, I'll relive these moments where I didn't realize on a subtle level, I was tensing up and having a visceral response to the situation. And it has been living in me ever since. And right. I can feel it as if it's happening to me in the moment during ceremony. And I either have to let go of it, breathe it out, breathe through it and release it, or I'm going to vomit. And then you vomit it out and it's like, oh, it's out of me. Yes. And then you feel a spaciousness inside. Not a lot different than if you're having I'm generally speaking rocked by interpersonal relationships, right? right? And if a relationship's off with someone, my stomach's in knots about it. And the same feeling you get where it finally comes to resolution, or if you 
build up the nerve to confront the person and have a good talk about it. And the then relief. You, and you come to some new understanding. There's like this relief. That's mm. what it's like during ceremony where stuff that you didn't even realize you were holding on to. And then you feel this relief and it happens over and over and over again. Just, I'm just going like spitballing. You're not spitballing, but I'm just like riffing. I remember one ceremony and I remember I journal, you know, you journal after it. And I titled this ceremony, The Night of a Thousand Deaths. And it was literally one after another, these waves of I was being killed, um, dying in all these ways that apparently I was afraid of. Maybe being attacked by a swarm of animals or Mm. bugs, maybe drowning. And it was just, I would be sitting there and then it would get to the point where you can't escape it. And I would get to the point, I'm like, okay. I remember just being like, okay, God, if this is what you want, I surrender. And in that next moment that I would surrender, I would let it consume me. And I was feeling like I was going to die and I wouldn't die, obviously. And then I would be released. And I'm like, ah. And it was amazing. And then I would have, who knows, maybe 30 seconds of like getting to settle in until the next way of dying would come to me. It's exhausting. There are some experiences like that. Some experiences, once you let go, I've had an experience where I refused to let go and I went into it in a terrible headspace. I was already resistant to it. Like, <laughs> and I, so much so that after I took my first dosage, I'm like, what did I do? Why did I do this? Now I can't turn back. How do I get out of here? And then I started freaking out because I knew there was no turning back. And so I resisted every which way. And I felt like I was being strangled. That's the worst. It was the worst. And then finally in my head, I said, if you let go, you're going to go on the other side and you're going to feel amazing. You just have to let go. No, no, no. I refuse to let go. Why did I do this? And (laughs) just fighting and fighting. And then finally, it's like, I can't fight anymore. I have to let go. And you finally let go. So there are times where, yes, you do go in waves, but this time in particular, I decided to let go after a lot of fighting and it was total bliss. It was amazing. I want to talk about a few experiences. My very first one was because of you, because we got engaged a few hours before, right? Mm -hmm. My very first one. And which I thought was, I mean, creme de la creme, like that was perfect timing, right? To do your first ayahuasca experience. So, and it was total bliss for me. And you started laughing because you're like, oh, it was your first time. Of course it was total bliss. But you and I were sitting (laughs) next to us. And at the time we still, okay, so Awakenings uh, Health still existed. And it was a fitness and wellness center for neurological disorders. It was very, very intense. And you're constantly People are coming in with these horrible, horrible traumatic stories that you thought could never happen in a billion years, but that they would happen. And all you want to do was just help, right? You mm-hmm. just wanted to give people a leg up in life. And it always seemed like it was an impossible situation. So in circle, and when we say in circle, it's a ceremony. It's an actual ceremony. You, it, it's a very, very sacred ceremony. You sit there with a shaman and many different leaders, it is totally, couldn't be a more safe spot. You couldn't feel more safe in this experience. The fear that you feel is what you're about to go through for your own personal experience, but it's certainly not 
that there are going to be a ton of people to be able to help you and guide you through and, it. To and that's the other an important, side. just to interrupt. Yes, sure. It's so important because I think a lot, it's become kind of mainstream now mm-hmm. and people just kind of see an ad on Facebook about it and right. they'll fly out to like, even in the States and they'll fly out and kind of do circles. And I can't stress enough how important it is to have a really safe container to do this in and to trust where you're at and to feel completely yes. protected so that you can let go and do this and to trust that the shaman is reading the room and coming around and helping people through when they're going through tough times. It's really important to have, for me at least, to have it at that level. I don't recommend it to anyone to just join some random- No way. Or even not, I've heard that people do it recreationally. I'm like, are you crazy? That's That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's suicide. But I mean, even the shamans get to know you a month before and ask you questions and want to know your intentions and your goals. So do a special diet to like clear the system out. And, Absolutely. Yeah. It really is a very beautiful, sacred place and with so much reference. So, okay. So my first experience, so Adam and I are seated together next to each other, which I don't know if they usually do that, but they did for us this time and, or maybe for me, they did. And in my very first time, I too was visited with a ton of people, all right? And it was a ton of people who I knew needed help. And they were all people who I knew and really all people that had been dying for years to help and find an answer for them. I had lines of people. It was like far back and it wrapped around and people would stand in line and they'd come up to me and tell me their woes or what they needed help with or what they needed healing with. But I already knew there was a deep sense of what I knew they needed. And then I would clean them. I tell you about this all the Uh time, but I had these tools and just like I explained in the beginning, how this weighted vest of all these expectations and fears and everything that people have built around them in their lives, I would clean not only their vests and like chip off like this hard exterior that they had on them, but I would go inside and if they needed something cleaning with their heart or an organ, some kind of organ, I would go in there and I would blow it out. And it's like this black, heavy residue. And I would clean it all out. And I would wait until this soul was perfectly clean and it looked like the cocoon body. And then I would pass them. So I would take all this junk and I would literally hand it over to Adam, who was sitting next to me. And meanwhile, this guy is sitting here throwing up his entire insides for five, six hours. I didn't know this at the time, but I was so happy. I'm like, oh, we're such a beautiful team. I'm coming (laughs) in and cleaning all these people's problems and I'm giving them to Adam and he's getting rid of them only to find out at the end of the ceremony, you're just completely puking your brains out. (laughs) And that was the first time I had purged during ceremony. Right, exactly. So thank you for that. It was blissful. So (laughs) yeah, and then you're like, and then so for years, and then we didn't do it. I mean, then we started a family pretty fast. And do it for 10 years. And for 10 years, you're always, every year you're like, we got to get back and do it. We got to get back. And at this point, I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know, man. Maybe take a little break for a little bit. No way. So then when we finally did get back to it, uh, then my intention was to control alt delete. And after 10 years of being married and having three children back to back and having to live out this certain persona of a mom and a responsible mom and responsible adult and need to do this, you need to do that, and you need to do it this way, and you need to do it that way. And all these 
expectations that I have put on myself and all these fears that I built up, which I was never a fearful person until I had kids. So my intention was to control, alt, delete that vest, that weighted vest that was weighing me down. And I was, that was the one experience where I said, that I just talked about where, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? I, now I can't turn back. And like I was being strangled when I finally did let go, it really was unbelievable. I was in this black, I was, I think it was outer space. I'm not really sure, but I was just floating and my arms and my legs are out floating and I couldn't hear anything and I couldn't see anything. And it was the most peaceful place. And there was a time where I was like, huh, I'm too far gone. I don't <laughs> think I'm coming back. I wasn't scared. And then we have to mention that in sacred ceremony, there's a musical component to it and they play music throughout and it evokes certain emotions and experiences. I feel like mama rides on the vibrations and yeah, it like gets into your system and that's what kind of, then it stops and then it's like, it got into this deep place that used you to be on lockdown. Yes. And then people start, Mwah! yes, that's when you hear everybody throwing up and when I thought that I was lost in probably not coming back from this abyss, but I was thoroughly enjoying it, the music started and this one girl in particular started singing and she was, it was beautiful. And she was singing a Hindu invocation and I recognized the words and that's what brought me back. I was like, oh, I know this. Oh, I know this song. Oh, I know what that word means. And it was literally like she was grabbing me into the abyss and pulling me back into the room. And I was really, really thankful because there was a moment where I thought, I'm too far gone. But I did. I was, and you can attest to this, I was completely control-alt-deleted. Good thing. I think it's a good thing, but to the point of a lot of the fear. And then let's use that as a segue to come back into the- I don't feel fear. I don't feel the insecurities. But you're starting from scratch. And so in some ways, it's a little unsettling because- To you. I think to you too. It was because my memory wasn't so great. Yeah. It was definitely, it rocked our relationship. We were already going through trying to figure out how to reset things. We were trying to control (laughs) alt delete. It was our 10-year anniversary gift to each other. (laughs) To do that. (laughs) The bottom line is I have my own desires my own wants out of this world and I can't impose them on anyone else. Right. But you're married to someone and you're raising a family together, you're intertwined. And it's a fine line to be intertwined at that level while still allowing someone else to be on their own journey in this life. Absolutely. And you control alt deleting was great, but there was no more connection point for you or I and more structure. I mean, it just, it, it really- for the kids too, for us. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I do agree. And it was quite the integration and quite a process of coming back into society and reality. And I think you had mentioned before that when you do something like this, it really only is the beginning. There are a lot of people, I remember years ago, there was this woman who wasn't so happy with you and you going to do ayahuasca. And she's like, well, there's no quick fix. There's no quick fix into the mind. And I laugh about that because over the years, people have come to me and say, oh, I want to do ayahuasca. I got to get this stuff out of my brain. And it is not a quick fix. It is just the beginning. It's opening up Pandora's box. It's opening up your heart, opening up 
fears and the expectations and the love and the, the attachments. Attachments. It's opening up everything. It's literally exposing it and you are raw and you have to figure out now how to, it reprograms you. It gives you the chance. It gives, it gives you, you the, the template, to, right? right? And you get the template and then it's up to you to navigate through your life, to walk through your life using that template. But that template's not going to just be used now. It's still not ingrained into your unconscious. So it's something that you have to grab a hold of consciously and you have to make the choice to view your life, to filter your life through that lens over and over and over again. And when you do it, you find it again brings you face to face with a lot of discomfort. There are reasons we choose to navigate through life the way we do because it's the path of least resistance. It's more comfortable. And to then all of a sudden change it up, even if it's in the name of being more true to yourself, it doesn't mean it's easy and it doesn't mean it's not going to be scary. And that's where the rubber meets the road. That's when I'm impressed, not by people that do it, because I mean, who cares anyway? Life is one big ayahuasca trip. That's what I got out of it. And I continue to get out of it is this past year with navigating through our marriage, let alone just life in general. It's so uncomfortable. And if you're going to be honest about it, if you're going to be true to not trying to hyper control things and let life evolve and just kind of join that dance, that's not easy at all. And it's really scary. And it's like being on, instead of five hours where you're completely ripped out of control and you have to face these things, guess what, people? We're facing them anyway. How many people are uncomfortable out there right now for some situation in your life, right? At least one area, one aspect of your life. What are you feeling scared about? What are you, we're going to have hopefully next week talking about parenting and going into teenage years. How scary is it to know how to raise children? How scary is it to pick careers and wonder if you can support yourself or your family? Life is constantly bringing us face to face. How scary is it to let go of your attachments? Yeah. (laughs) And how about like your your identity? Like I am this and I like seeing myself this way. And to to break free from that is what it's like in a five-hour period. Just stretch that out over a year. And that's what we're experiencing. The only difference is, is while we're sober, our mind easily supersedes the moment and puts us back in our box of fears and keeps us quote unquote safe. And so we don't really challenge to forge new ground. And I think that is just it, is when you're living in your day-to-day, is that ayahuasca experience for me, those ayahuasca experiences, for me, there was a takeaway for all of them, right? And there is something that I turn to in my daily practice of living with all of them. I turned to one time, mom ayahuasca showed up as an owl for me. And I was scared to take the ride one that time where I was afraid to let go. And she said, well, hop on my back and let me take you for a ride. And so I hopped on her back and it was gorgeous. It was in the dark and it was quiet. And she, like, I could hear just us going through the wind through the trees, and we're just going totally riding in the darkness. And for me, when I feel lost or I feel like I need answers, I hop on her back. I close my eyes. I visualize hopping on her back and just to feel for she was so soft and she was so big and she just took care of me. And 
I hop on her back often and ride through that forest, that dark forest and the quiet forest and I hear the wind or my daily practice of working on people and helping them heal. I clean them. I clean their exteriors, their interiors. I free them. I see them as these free-flowing souls. And I can't tell you how many of the experiences, the takeaways that I had from ayahuasca that I turned to every day, the taking out my mind, living in my heart. Remember the experience that I had with Mabel? We lost our dog Mm -hmm. close to two years ago, and she was just my heart and soul. And it was very hard for me to let her go. And and still is. But one of the lessons that I got from Mama Ayahuasca was Mabel came to me in a vision and she had said, Laura, you have to take that love that you had for me and I had for you and give that to the world, pass that on to the world, feel that love. So there are often times where I do like to freeze my heart and not feel so much easier to do it that way and to go through life. But I have her little picture sitting on the windowsill in the kitchen, which I am literally always at. And I look at that little picture and I, she's my teacher. She's my life teacher. And that was something that mama had taught me is, all right, your heart is a little frozen right now, Lord, it's time to open it up and, and feel again. So, I mean, there are just so many beautiful lessons and experiences that I've gotten out of ayahuasca that is lived daily. That's what it's all yeah. about. Really. Uh-huh. I mean, that's let it strip you down and shine a light on the direction forward. And it's a gift. That's beautiful. That's kind of how I see it too. It's just take what you can from it and apply it and apply it and apply it until you literally are living it in the sober world. Right. It's like a lesson 101, right? The actual experience. But if you want to go further, you're going to take the accelerated courses, which is your actual life. You really want to delve into it and you really want to be freed and you really want to heal and you want to live a happy life. The shamans that we've worked with, they often say like how important it is where after people do ceremonies to have a community or have healers that they can go to to help them integrate the work. It's really important and you can make a lot of ground. I always say like it's like five years of work and five hours because it really like you just sort through, you get to the meat and potatoes. It does. It's like an arrow. It just shoots right to the bullseye, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. But then uh-huh. that's um, it's a big, from where you were before to uh-huh. then where you end up coming out of it, it's like, wow, it's a big leap. And then you have to fill in the gap, right? So um, gives you insight to where you need help and work. Yeah. And helps you literally start releasing that stuff that you didn't even have access to before. Maybe even you knew you had issues surrounding maybe your upbringing or some heartbreak or just certain events but you didn't know how to access it viscerally. It was more intellectual. So I think the magic seed for today, for me, is really just we appreciate using the medicine. We've ventured into it. We've explored it. And at least we could speak with some basis. I'm not just like, ah, do it or don't do it. <laughs> right. It's not like it has to be for everyone. It's not. But if you're going to do it, make sure it's in sacred community with people that you trust and feel comfortable with and realize that doing it is just the beginning of your journey and you're taking it back into your world. And then it's no different than everything else you're trying to do, right? You're trying to learn how to live a more connected life, to know yourself more truly and to give yourself a platform for your true expression and know how to foster that relationship with yourself that you can grow and evolve. And this is just a nice tool 
to help us on that path. So, I mean, that's the magic seed is that's how we look at it, at least if you ever want to use it. It's beautiful. All right. Until next week, nothing but love.